Welcome to Thriller Vault, where thriller writers tell their favorite stories. I'm your host, Phil Williams, and I'm here with my co-host, Luke Richardson. How are you doing, Luke? Really well, thank you. How are you? Good. Very well. So we're going to start with a a really good story from Luke, and uh, we're not going to do too much preamble because I've never heard the story. I have no idea what it's going to be, and uh, so I'll be hearing it brand new with the audience. So take it away, Luke. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to share this story. It's one of my favorites as well. And it's something that happened a little while ago. Now, it involves me telling you a little bit about my day as a writer. So in the morning, I write my words, I sit at my computer, I get the words done. And then the afternoon is mine to do with what I like. And I do sorts of various things, go to the gym, maybe go for a walk in the park, maybe go and see a friend or something. But One of my favourite things to do after a hard day's writing is to wander out of my front door, leave the work behind and go and find a quiet pub in which to drink a beer. I love everything about this. I love the walk there because I find that sort of unlocks story ideas. I love the process of selecting a good quality drinking establishment. That's very, very important. And I love the process of selecting the correct beer. I know. I know, I've been on this podcast for about 30 seconds and I'm already talking about beer. Anyone who knows me will know that's quite typical. (laughs) But if you know anything about English beer, you'll know this is more of a process than perhaps it first seems. It's not just a point of picking one. There's lots of things to consider. And ultimately, most importantly, I enjoy that process of consuming that beautiful, boozy nectar. It's also great I think because pubs attract interesting people like me maybe (laughs) and meeting interesting people as a writer is golden it's so important that's where some of my great story ideas come come from some of my great character ideas and this is a tale about one of those inspirational afternoon trips now the story the story I'm about to tell you took place a few years ago on one such afternoon It was one of those winter days where the daylight seems a bit work shy, fleeting many hours or fleeing many hours before it's allotted time. But still, I'd done my work for the day. And so it was time to hit the pavements and seek out a tasty beer. The city I live in, Nottingham, which lies slap bang in the middle of England, fortunately has no shortage of places that will sell you a drink or three. There are sports bars, Cocktail bars, disco bars, shop bars, vodka bars, even the movie theatre has a bar. But I wasn't interested in any of them because I wanted to go to the pub. And what's the difference between a bar and a pub, you might ask? Pubs are often older and pride themselves in just serving great drinks all day long. I mean, from sort of 10 a.m. through to midnight. That's the sort of place. I mean, I'm not going to go for that whole time. Obviously, that would be problematic. I do have things to do. But, you know, the fact they're open all of that time is important. The food options in such a place are a packet of crisps or potato chips and a pickled egg. And Nottingham has no shortage of such watering holes where a few hours can be easily whiled away. On this particular day, however, I had my eyes set on one particular drinking hole, a place I take everyone who visits me in Nottingham, the oldest pub in the world. 
That's right. Nottingham is home to the oldest pub in the world. In fact, it's home to two pubs, which both claim to be the oldest pub in the world. But that's a story for another time. Today, I'm visiting the pub that dates back to 1189. That's right. Beers have been served in this particular drinking hole since the Middle Ages. The pub gets its name, the old trip to Jerusalem, from the Crusaders who used to stop there, actually on the way to Jerusalem when they were, when they were fighting out there in the Holy Land. It's one of those places where you can walk into and feel like you're hearing the echoes of a bygone era. And that makes great fodder for a writer's mind, I think. My destination decided, my eyes now on the prize. I pulled on my coat and my scarf and hot-footed it across the city. Now, just lit by twinkling streetlights, the city seemed strangely quieter than usual. Still long before the rush hour, cars chugged up the streets and the buses hissed past almost empty. Moving fast to avoid the chill and claim my prize as quickly as possible, I made the journey in record time. I paused outside and peered up at the building. The construction of the pub itself doesn't look as old as they claim, maybe 300 years or something. That's because it's not the construction that's the old bit. The pub exists in a network of caves which are hollowed out from the cliffs beneath Nottingham Castle. Shaking the history from my mind, though, I pushed through the door and breathed in that beautiful smell. Beer. Without any further delay, I stepped up to the bar and went about the process of selecting my beer from the eight or so they had on offer that day. As I said, it's quite a process. Do I want dark, light, sour, hoppy, filtered or not? It's far more complicated than you might envision. Having carefully decided, though, I watched patiently as the barman drew the pint from the tap, taking the reverence that a good pint deserves. He puts it there, lets it stand for 30 seconds just for the bubbles to come out before filling it up to the brim like this. Finally, and not a moment too soon, he placed the beer in front of me. I snatched it up and took that first sip. Ah. Glass now firmly in hand, I wandered off to find a seat. The old trip, as we locals call it, consists of three main caves which are spread over two different levels, each containing five or six tables, so it's not a big place. I walked through the pub, peering up at the walls made from the hollowed-out sandstone of the bedrock on which the city rests. Dim lights twinkle from the ceiling and various artefacts testifying to the place's history hang, hung on the walls. It feels like, as I say, one of those places in which you just step back in time. I love it. For a weekday afternoon, though, and in contrast to the quiet city outside, the pub's busy. I glance through the first cave and see no vacant tables. I climb the treacherous, crooked staircase up to the next set of caves and notice with disappointment that the second and third caves are also full. Why is this place so busy on a weekday afternoon, I think? Don't these people have jobs to go to? Resigned to stand at the bar, I take a deep sip of the beer, which is very nice by the way, and head back towards the staircase. As I'm passing through the second cave though, I see an older gentleman sat on his own at a table for two right at the back of the room. He's got a large mop of unruly grey hair, I remember it like it was yesterday, and he picks up his pint with, the, with this hand the size of a bear's paw. Hello mate. Do you mind if I sit with you? I say, sidling up to the table. He looks at me and stares, unblinking for a moment. It looks as though he's almost surprised to see me. 
Not at all, he says, finally, in a voice that's so gruff it sounds like he's been drinking seawater. I pull out the chair opposite and I sit down and take another sip of the beer. Mission complete. The name's Archie, he says. Archie Nye, my drinking partner says, offering a thick hand across the table. I introduce myself and shake his hand. Good pub this, Archie says, holding his pint to the sky. I notice there's something curious about the way he looks, even striking. His skin is so pale, it looks almost to be dusty or colourless. I agree, nodding, and take a sip myself. I've been drinking here 50 years, he says, before taking a deep sip of the beer. I agree, although can't claim to have visited for quite such a long time. Richard the Lionheart, my friend roars, banging his glass down on the table. He drank here. Him and his men. The year was 1189 and they were off to make good the Pope's orders in the Holy Land. Imagine it now. The horses tied up outside, braying and pulling at their tethers. The bar full of men, sharing tales and wishing each other luck on their adventures. He swigs his pint and then holds it left to right, surprisingly not spilling a single drop. These air caves filled with knights off to fight the good fight. The air thick with smoke and the smell of beer. Well, this isn't the solitary afternoon I planned, but I don't really mind. I sit back on the creaking chair and listen to my new drinking partner's stories. He's got that way of speaking, like a master storyteller that just sort of draws you in and transports you to the place that he's describing. I can't help but hear and sense the things he's talking about. I almost turn around in my seat as a horse whinnies from the window and the sounds of clinking tankards echoes up the stairway. Caught in the memory, I turn and see a group of crusaders sitting together at the next table. The men are easily over six feet tall and they're strong. The symbol of the cross adorns their weathered armour. It's a symbol under which they live and will probably die thousands of miles from home. Their weapons lean against nearby walls, ready to be grasped at a moment's notice. Suddenly, a cry comes from above our heads. Archie points up at a hole in the cave ceiling, 30 feet above our heads. I'd never seen the height of this cave before, nor the hole right in the cave's apex. That's a beer order coming down from the castle, Archie says. This here cave runs right into the grounds. This is the brew house for the nobleman up there. It's the right conditions, you see, cool and damp. I shake my head as the scene melts away. I look at Archie across the table. Did Robin Hood drink here? I say, finally able to insert a word into his dialogue. Archie looks at me for a long moment. I notice that the side of his face is scarred as though he's been injured in some crusade or another. He's silent for a long time. I worry that he thinks I'm teasing him. I reckon so. He bellows, finally, crashing his glass down to the table and sloshing brown ale out onto the wood. But listen to this, he says, his voice now dropping to little above a whisper. This be the most interesting part of this place. Archie leans forward conspiratorially. It feels as though the cave around us drops in volume too. I lean forward. The table creaks above our combined weight. The cursed galleon, he whispers sounding out each word as though they hold a magic power. His eyes widen and he points upwards to something mounted on the wall. I turn and look towards the object. 
At first, in the dim light of the cave, I can't really see it properly. After a second or so, I recognise it as a model sailing ship. It's about four feet long and two feet high. There's something sinister about it though. It looks almost ghostly because it's covered in thick dust. The dust hangs around it in strands that dangle from the masts as thick as the fingers of a child. That there is the cursed galleon, Archie says, still pointing up at the ship. I tried to hide an amused smile with a sip of my beer. This is getting silly now, come on. History's one thing, but curses, they're something else altogether. Really? Why is it cursed? I ask, trying to keep my voice level. Well, no one really knows, Archie says wistfully. Yeah, that's convenient, I think. But they know when the curse started. Legend has it that the galleon was gifted to the pub by a great sailor before he took to the seas. No one knows his name. You see, Nottingham is a well-used inland port, the River Trent leading straight out into the sea. Anyway, a few days later, his ship was lost, never to be seen again. And ever since that day, Archie says, his voice building towards a crescendo. Let me guess, I interject. That model ship has been cursed. That's right, Archie says, his eyes now bulging from his pale skin for near on 200 year. Anyone who's touched that ship has died soon after. I'm not sure, I ask tentatively. Is stuff like that really true? Sure as I am here before you, Archie replies, banging on the table. He lifts his glass to his mouth and finishes the last of his beer in one swallow. I raise an eyebrow and finish my own drink. Do you want another, Archie? I say, indicating the two empty glasses before us. Archie looks down at the glasses as though he's never seen them before. Sure, he says. Brown ale. Thanks very much. I stand and pick up the empty glasses, cross the uneven floor, and then wobble my way down the precarious staircase. Two pints of brown ale, I say, as I reach the bar. The barman, studiously drying glasses, puts down his towel and starts work on pouring two fresh pints. As the barman works his magic, I notice that the pub has emptied in the last few minutes. The only people that remain are two older men sitting in the back corner, both chatting over half-empty glasses. The barman places the two pints on the bar and accepts my payment. I pick up the two full glasses and head back up the stairs. It's a challenge now, walking up that uneven staircase, carrying the two glasses brimming with beer. I reach the top, though, without donating too much to the spillage gods. There you go, mate, I say, stepping into the cave room. Then I freeze. The table that Archie was sitting at is now empty. Archie's chair is tucked beneath it neatly. I look around as though my new friend might have moved table, but he's nowhere to be seen. He must be visiting the bathroom, I think, and retake my seat. I peer up at the galleon and take a sip of the beer. There is something sinister about that ship, I decide. I'll give him that. It's something to do with the way the dust hangs so thick from the, the sails. It looks how I'd imagine a shipwreck to, thousands of feet beneath the waves. Ten minutes pass. The room's still empty. Another ten minutes pass and i finish my beer. As Archie hasn't returned, I'm just going to start on his too. I finish his pint and climb to my feet, 
He must have just walked away, I smiled to myself. Maybe he was more drunk than I'd expected. You meet all sorts in pubs like this, and that's why I like them, as I said earlier. I look around the cave, and I think about the story he told. For a few minutes there, he really brought this place to life. I pick up the glasses, and I walk carefully back down the stairs. I place the glasses on the bar. The barman has now finished emptying the dishwasher and is polishing the colourful bottles of spirits on the shelves. I thank him and then head for the door. Just before stepping through, I pause and I turn and head back to the bar. I don't know why, but I feel as though I want to ask about my mysterious drinking partner. Hey, a strange thing just happened, I say, walking up to the bar. I was chatting with this guy. I went to the bar to get a drink. Then when I returned... He wasn't there. Did you see him come past? The place is now empty. The barman must have seen him leave. No idea, mate, the man says, shrugging, clearly not interested. What did he look like? Older guy. He was, he was tall, well over six feet tall. The man's cleaning slows. He shakily places the bottle back on the shelf. Grey hair, I say. Lots of grey hair, actually. The barman stops work altogether and looks at me. I notice he's gone completely pale. Pale skin, scar on his face, the barman asks. That's him, I say. You know him. Is, is he a regular or something? He was just such an interesting guy. Emily, the barman says. We've got another one. He turns around and shouts into the kitchen. Emily, we've got another one. Another what, I ask. Who's Emily? A few moments later, a red-faced woman with her sleeves rolled up above her elbows bustles out of the kitchen. Not again, she says. She too looks pale. She looks at me, her eyes wide with fear. Tell me exactly what happened. I explain again, telling how I sat with the gentleman, that we spoke for a while and then when I went back to get the drink, he wasn't there. Did he tell you about the Crusaders? Emily says, barely above a whisper, in graphic detail. She swallows. It looks as though she's having real trouble doing so, though. I nod, feeling suddenly unsteady on my feet. It's, it's that cursed galleon, she whispers. The barman nods slowly. What, what do you mean? I stutter, still not really understanding. Go, go and look, Emily says, turning and pointing back up into the room. I turn and I look back up the staircase. Something tells me not to go. A force feels like it's dragging me out of the door and out of the pub and all the way home. But I feel as though I need to go and see what this is all about. I take the stairs one at a time. The aged and twisted wood creaks beneath my feet. I step back into the room. As before, lights glimmer down from the ceiling. I step up to the ship, my heart pounding. Sure enough, there's a small brass plaque attached to the base of the galleon's plinth. Slowly, like peeling back the layers of time, I lean in and start to read. These words, to this day, are inscribed on that plinth. The cursed galleon. The donator and maker of the galleon are unknown. Since its donation to the pub, Everyone who's tried to move or touch the galleon has met an untimely end. The galleon has since been encased in glass for the protection of staff and customers. The first victim, falling down the stairs to his death, was a man 
named Archie Nye. There are parts of this story that are true and there are parts of it that are not true. Do you want to have a guess? Do you want to think about which one? What, 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 how yeah. far I've, I've embellished the truth in the writing of this story? Well, well I, think the, I think pickled egg is a lie. There's no way people are eating pickled <laughs> egg in, in, in pubs. I just think that's ridiculous. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never heard of it. I've never heard of such a thing. Wow, I, I can uh, assure like you, the a... pickled egg and a packet of crisps is a delicacy in British pubs, hundred percent. Some of the some of the more highbrow ones will serve pork pies or or like um, sausage rolls, that sort of thing. Oh, okay, <laughs> uh, I think that I I bet I bet that's tr- I bet there is I bet you've been to that pl- pub. I bet that 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 particular model ship is in the pub. And I bet that plaque is in the pub. Uh, the only the only thing that might be made up is the, the meeting the guy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. The ship exists, and the curse is said to be real. The ship has been placed in this in this sort of glass tank, so no one can touch it now. Um, the curse is said to be real, and it's it, the bit it was supposed. So somebody gifted. really did fall down the stairs. Yeah, not not down the stairs. I put that bit in it to make it so that he would haunt the pub. Okay, you know, so he had to die in the pub. Oh, okay, um, but the the three or four people who are who are said to have fallen foul of the curse have have touched the ship and then within a couple of months have died in an unfortunate, probably completely not connected, but <laughs> maybe connected um, incidents. You know, that, that's the question. <laughs> you know, knowing what you know. Let's say I let's say I offered you a hundred thousand dollars to hey Luke, we're gonna take the glass off this ship, and I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars to touch it. it. Yeah, like how much be... money would it take for you to risk your life to touch it? Like because you, you know intellectually you're like this is ridiculous, it's touching a <laughs> ship. But then there's a part of you that thinks you know if I touch this thing, you know I could be I could be meeting my maker here and I'm that's right. So. And and you'd also that's a really good question, you know. And you'd also see um you'd be worried about it wouldn't you you know i feel yeah, like they should do that you probably on these. thinking about it do they have these the, the program i'm sure they have these in the states there's a program here a really rubbish program called i'm a celebrity get me out of here um and it's essentially they have celebrities doing awful things like eating bugs and and like <laughs> swimming in slime and all these sorts of horrible things um and they make a big fuss out of it. It's rubbish, rubbish TV. But I feel like something like that would be much better. Wouldn't you want to see a celebrity like touching a cursed ship? <laughs> Especially you know? a celebrity I didn't like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe a celebrity yeah. you didn't like, maybe that would be fun. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I, like, I, I had a good feeling for I had, I had a good feeling when the the story. I mean, you the way you told the story, I felt like I was there. You know, even though I've never been to a I've never been to a British pub, I've never been to England. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference between? Have you ever been to a bar in the states? Mm, yeah, a couple of them. The British pubs like, are generally what's the big difference between like a. Yeah, I think probably that I think the states is such a broad place, isn't it? And I've been to a few pubs in New York that were right, not not 
dissimilar to the ones we'd have in England. But generally, when you say pub in England, it's it's a small sort of older building, you know, um, with a fireplace and with dark wooden tables, and they're all very. It's it's an older sort of place. But it's very small and very sort of cosy. Whereas you you talk about some of the American bars that you'd see on the TV programs and whatever, they're vast and they've got several sofas and giant sets of tables and all of these sorts of things, you know. Right. Um, and I've seen right. when I've been when I've been travelling over there, I've seen some of those things as well. But haven't explored the, the states enough really to to make a judgment. But I'm sure you have British pubs in a mock sense, you know, like you'd have an Irish pub in a in a place, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I I wonder if one of the big things is the the different ages of the civilizations like because the united states is a relatively young country compared to england Mm. you know what i mean uh for for example like we we revolved all our cities around the cars whereas you know england they they revolved it more on mass transit and trains and whatnot because it's an older yeah it's an older london for example is much older than new york city that's right. And you think but, people uh, have been brewing beer in England for thousands of years. So it's such a central thing to British culture is to is to have right. beer or wine or something. It, it's not just that. It's not just the alcohol sense. It's that it's the third place, isn't it? People talk about this place that isn't work or home. It's just a it's another sociable yeah. area that you go to it's the public. It's almost like the public square almost. Yeah, well, that's what pub stands for. Like, public house, it? isn't it? So it's a public house. Literally okay. is I didn't know is. That. Um, is a house that everyone can go to to meet your friends so you're not having to do the washing up or or provide for your mates if they're coming, if you're trying to meet right. them in the evenings, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, so you have that actual pub in your, in your, in your town where you live. Mm. In fact, I went there two days ago with Steve, Steve Moore, okay. who I'm sure we'll have on the podcast at oh, some nice. point or another. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have to have him on. Because... It's one of those places that if if I go with someone and when you feel come to Nottingham at some point in the future, we will go there because it's a real um, tourist attraction, you know, as well as being a great pub. It's so interesting to sit yeah. in those caves and see that ship and the and the hole in the roof is is real. That's there where they'd have some they must have had some kind of winch or pulley system to pull the the barrel of beer up to the castle i don't know exactly how but yeah and there's old swords oh, on the cool. wall and shields i'm picturing and... it all stone is it is it all stone well it's hollow it's it's naturally occurring caves in the rock so okay. yeah there's the stone walls but they're not square like a building would be they're sort of curved like a natural cave might be oh that's so um, cool yeah yeah really cool and then um and as i say it's right into the right into the cliff when you when you sort of when you sort of walk through that door, it's a really interesting place and great for a storyteller as well because of all this, all this legend yeah. and history and supernatural stuff. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the story, Luke. So join us next week as I'll be telling a story about a husband who loses two wives during his uh, marriage. So either he's un- incredibly unlucky or maybe there's something more to it. So... Come back next week and you'll hear all about it.